The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. You know, how we think of ourselves um, affects a lot about how we act and behave, and it's important to think rightly about yourself. And so I wonder if I could get inside your minds this morning how you view yourself as you come into church this morning. I imagine there's a, a, a whole variety of things of, of how we view ourselves, but I would say one overgeneralization is that there's probably a lot of people here today who think of themselves as guilty and God is a consuming fire, which is what the author's been saying, uh, guilty and coming here is a sense of, of appeasement or a sense of kind of taking care of that guilt, trying to say, you know, I've got some, I owe God something, and so I've got to come to church and work off some of that guilt or, or appease the Lord in some way. And, and so coming to church is almost a part of, of, of earning righteousness with God. Other people might be here thinking, you know, I get the gospel that, the, that we've been looking at in the scriptures that Jesus makes me right with God and so I come here today because I'm so thankful, uh, so thankful for what Christ has done for me. And so it's, it's my time to sing and express my appreciation for the radical grace of God that he's poured out to me in Christ. And, and that is the biblical view of worship, that it should be the, the response to what God has done for us. Worship is responding to him uh, grasping the grace of God and leading us to sing praises. And, and I think most of us, we probably have a blend of those. There's probably, if we're honest, some sense of I should be here. And then once we get here, there's a sense of that I'm doing it for the right reasons because I'm reminded of why I'm here. But I doubt that anyone is here for, or I would say if there are, then praise God because you're, you're probably one of the few, that I doubt many of us are here fully thinking of ourselves the way that the author describes us today. We'll see what that is in a minute, but most of us probably feel like David Granger and Tracy Graham are the leaders, kind of the priestly role, and the rest of us are the laymen, and we kind of let the paid professionals do what God's called them to do. If we looked at the Old Testament analogy, you would be the Hebrews and we would be the priests. That's probably the way our mindset tends to think. Well, today the writer of Hebrews is going to shatter that. He's going to totally shatter that concept that, that you're just a layman. In fact, the way he's going to say it today is that when you come here today, you're the priest. You're the one that has been ordained as a holy priest. And knowing that you're a righteous and holy priest by the blood of Christ should tell you who you are and what you are doing. Who you are and what you should be doing and what your purpose is and what your role is on, in this life. And so let me, let me see if I can show you where we're getting that from. Remember in Hebrews what the author has been doing. He's been showing us from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the, his Hebrew Bible. He's showing us Christ and his significance in our life. 
And where he has been is in Exodus 19 and 20. He's been saying, God's a consuming fire. He descended upon the mountain with the people of Israel, and he called them to himself. But he said, before you come to me, you've got to be consecrated because you're an unholy people and God's holy. So you have to be consecrated or sanctified or made right with God before you come. And there was a warning, don't come to the fire. Don't come to the presence of God without being consecrated or you'll be consumed. And so we saw that last week. And we saw Christ makes us right with God. Christ consecrates us. And so the response was to receive that gift and then become worshipers out of gratitude. And now he takes it a step farther. Today he's going to say not only does he make you a worshiper, but he makes you a priest. He makes you a part of a royal priesthood. And so your spiritual life is a life of worship, a life of ministry as a holy priest. And if you are Hebrew and you're hearing these things, we're going to review the Hebrew teaching. When you hear this, you're just going to be blown out of the water. What are you talking about? I would think it's a lot like a lot, uh, like a lot of you might be struggling to hear that. If you come from a, path, a, a, a Catholic family to be told that you are a priest, for you, you have this vision of the priest of the church and you know there is such a separation, such a difference to be told you're a priest is, is going to be hard to swallow. Well, I would say multiply that by 100 for a Hebrew to understand he's a priest. And so I want to work through these concepts and, and it's got to be done by going first to the Old Testament text that talk about how the priests were consecrated and then the writer of Hebrews is going to just work right through that and basically ordain you as a priest today. I hope you brought your family and friends because you're going to be made a priest today. It's a big deal. It's a big service in your life. I meant to send out invitations, but I forgot. But today, we're going to be consecrated and ordained as priests. And I want, it, I want you to see this. It takes a little, little explanation through the Old Testament, so bear with me. First of all, understand in Exodus 29, we see right after the next scene. We were in Exodus 19, 20, God descended, and then the people said, no, we can't be in the presence of God. Moses, you go up. And so Moses went up the mountain, met with God, and then God gave him instructions to give how to live as a people, though they are unholy and have God in their midst. And those instructions, first of all, were a tabernacle. God said, here, you need a, a place, to a, sep a physical separation from me as an unholy people. And so he gave them instructions for a tabernacle. The tabernacle was basically, you had the outer wall of the tabernacle. Then you had a courtyard. Inside you had this tent structure which had two components. One was called the holy area. The other was the holy of holies. And then the, the people of Israel camped outside the tabernacle. And so you had the, the holy of holies in the center of the camp. The holy place, the courtyard, they camped. And then outside the camp. This was all God's design. Now, why did God do this? God was not saying, get away from me. God was saying, as he's been every page of the scriptures, come to me. But for an unholy people to come to God, provisions had to be made. And so the first thing was physical protection of the people through this tabernacle system. 
Then he gives them the priests. And he said, the priests are to be your mediators who offer sacrifices. There's a whole process of these priests to offer sacrifices. In the morning, they offered a lamb. At night, they offered a lamb. And that was to cover the sins of the people so that God's presence could dwell in the Holy of Holies. Once a year, the high priest and only the high priest, the first one was Aaron himself, once a year, he went into the Holy of Holies and sacrificed for the sins of the people. But no one else was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And then only the priests were allowed into the holy place. And, and only, only clean Israelites were allowed in the camp, unclean outside the camp. So you see this process that was developed. All of it, though, for the priests to do their jobs, they had to be consecrated. I want to read to you about the consecration of the priests in Exodus 29, 9 through 14. The author says, or in Exodus, he says, So you shall ordain Aaron, Aaron is the first high priest, and his sons, so the sons of the high priest are the priesthood. Then you shall bring the bull, so there's a bull, before the tent of meeting, so just outside the tent of meeting, the high priest took the bull Aaron and his sons would lay their hands on the head of the bull, symbolically portraying the sin being transferred to the bull. And then he says, You shall slaughter the bull before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull, put it on the horns of the altar. The altar is called the altar of burnt offering. With your finger, and you shall pour out all the blood at the base of the altar. You shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and offer them up in smoke on the altar. Burn them fully on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its hide and its refuse, in other words, the carcass, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. This is a sin offering. And so in order for the priest to do their job, to be ordained and be consecrated and sanctified as priests, they had to take this bull and sacrifice it as was described. Sacrifice it, put the blood on the altar, symbolically a sin offering, burn the the insides of it on this altar of burnt offering, a a soothing aroma rising up to God in the sky, in the air, and then outside the camp, the carcass was burned. This is all stuff that the author is going to use. So the first aspect of consecrating the priest was this bull offering. But then there was this second aspect. We learned this part in Leviticus. If you study in Leviticus, we see that there was a second part, and that was a sacred meal. The sacred meal was taking this uh, two, there was two rams associated with. There was After the bull, they would take a first ram, and that ram was to be was called a uh, burnt offering, and then the second ram was called the offering of ordination. So they would then eat, the priest, the high priest, and the other priest would then eat this ram as a sacred meal, as a part of their ordination ceremony. Listen to the description of the sacred meal. He said, you shall take the ram of ordination, boil its flesh in a holy place, Aaron and his sons only, Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Thus 
They shall eat those things by which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration. But a layman shall not eat of them, because they are holy. If any of the flesh of the ordination of the bread remains until morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten, because it's holy. Exodus 39 again said, They shall eat those things by which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration, but a layman shall not eat them because they are holy. This is very important to understand. Only the priests had the right to eat the sacred meal at the altar because they were eating those things by which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration. The layman shall not touch it. Don't go near it. This massive separation between the priests and the layman was established by God for these Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews is writing a letter to them and he's saying, you are a priest. And he's going to blow their mind. And so let's look, with that in mind, let's look at our text today. And we're going to see our ordination process. First of all, we see our sacred meal. Verse 9, do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not foods, through which those who were so occupied were benefited. Here we see our sacred meal, our sacred bread, is the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Apparently there was some new teaching going on related to the idea of the food. Perhaps it came from the idea of the sacred meal. But apparently there was this idea that the heart, which is the spiritual aspect of man, that the, that the spiritual life was given by ceremony or regulations or food. And the writer of Hebrews says, no, your spiritual life, your sacred meal, your meal of consecration and ordination is the grace of God through Jesus Christ. This is what's pictured at the Lord's Supper for us. The sacred meal that we come to and we eat the wafer and representing the body of Christ and we drink the vine, the fruit of the vine representing the blood of Christ. We're saying this is our consecration meal. This is what gives us spiritual life. Not the elements, but the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The grace of God is our sacred meal. He says, this sacred meal that you partake of is what makes you sacred, makes you sanctified, what sets you apart as holy, what consecrates you. And notice what he said in the previous verses that was so important. He's saying that they were eating the very things that that atoned for them. They were eating the very things that made them holy and righteous and consecrated them and ordained them. What the author is saying to you is when you put your faith in the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is the sacred meal that sanctifies you and consecrates you. But he says not only does it sanctify you and consecrate you, but it ordains you. Your salvation is your ordination. Being saved by the grace ordains you to be a minister of the grace. 
You don't have this priest out there who has special graces that you don't have. He says, when you put your faith in Christ, you're sitting and eating the sacred bread of the grace of God. And it's not only your salvation, but it's your ordination. So the sacred meal in verse 9, in verse 10, we see the sacred altar at which we eat this bread. And this is where he gets extremely offensive to the, in the Hebrew mindset. Look at verse 10. We have an altar. Now remember, we just read, they were not allowed to come to the altar. They were not allowed to approach the sacred altar where this meal was. Laman, stay out. If any of the bread remains, burn it. There is this huge separation. Laman were not allowed at the altar. And he says, guess what? We, as members of the new covenant, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle, i.e. the priest, we have an offer from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. He says the, the priest cannot come to our altar. Why? Because they are not members of the new covenant. We have a better altar. We have a better bread, a better priest, a better sacrifice, and a better altar. Verse 11. Why, now, you're going you're gonna to have to explain this. You'll have some explaining to do. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore... Jesus also, that he might sanctify all the people, sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So if he's going to make such an audacious claim that the priests serving the tabernacle don't have a right to come to our altar and eat of this sacred bread, he better explain it. And so he, he explains it in verses 11 and 12. He says that, what he does is he combines all the imagery of the bull sacrifice for the consecration of the priest and shows that it is fulfilled in Jesus. In the Old Covenant, the high priest went in and offered the blood of the sin offering of the bull on the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tent of meeting and then the flesh and the carcass was burned outside the camp. He folds all of that into Jesus to say, when you trust in Jesus, he's ordaining you as a priest. In the new covenant, Jesus is our great high priest who went into the holy place, sacrificed on the cross, just outside the entrance of the city as the sin offering that he might sanctify the people through his own blood. So this is an amazing concept. The author is signifying that those who receive by grace through faith in Jesus are both sanctified and ordained as God's priests. And this is what God's been trying to do all along. This is what God's, excuse me, this is what God's goal has been all along was to, he says to Israel, I want to make you a kingdom of priests. Did the Old Covenant make them a kingdom of priests? No, it made them a kingdom with priests. 
and made them a kingdom where they had to go through a priest to get to God. He says, that's not what I wanted. I want a kingdom of priests. We see the first picture of that in the garden where God wants Adam and Eve to be the priests serving their family. Where Adam is the, the, the picture of the priesthood of the believer over his family. He was to dispense the grace of God to his family. And we see the problem is there's sin, so God goes with Israel, and we see we get closer that they're a kingdom with priests. Now he says with a new covenant in Jesus, he has finally a kingdom of priests. Everyone who is saved by the blood of Christ becomes a priest in his kingdom. We call that the priesthood of believers which means you have direct access to God. That's why this title, Draw Near to God Yourself. You have been granted access to the Holy of Holies. You don't have to fear Him. You don't have to work your guilt off. You can't work your guilt off. Christ declares you righteous and grants you access to the holy place of God. He says, you are a member of the royal priesthood. First Peter, he says the same thing. He says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So when you come in here today, you don't come in here thinking, I'm a guilt-ridden person who needs to work off some guilt and, and hopefully get back in God's good graces and go out and repeat the process. You come in understanding that you are made right with God only by the blood of Jesus. And if you put your faith in God's promise regarding the blood of Jesus, you then are here to worship. And now he says, when you were sanctified or saved and made right with God, not only are you a worshiper, but you are a priest. You are a royal priest. If I told you your whole life you were good for nothing, loser, you probably would have the odds of turning out that way. If I told you your whole life you were a dog, you might start barking. If I tell you you are a priest, it should change the way we view the purpose of our lives. You're a priest. You have direct access to God Almighty. He has ordained you. Those he sanctified, he also ordained to be priests. The last part we see, our sacred calling. We see our sacred meal. Then we see our sacred altar. And we see our sacred calling. Verse 13, he says, So let us go out to him outside the camp bearing his reproach for here we do not have a lasting city but we are seeking the city which is to come through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name and do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased First, we need to point out the location of our sacred calling. Where does he tell us to go? He tell us to go outside the camp. If we understand what that means, we understand why he says bearing the reproach of Christ. Outside the camp is where everything unclean had to go. 
anyone in the camp, camping around the tabernacle, surrounding the holy city, anyone who sinned, disobeyed God, or was declared unclean was sent outside the camp. That's where the unclean people are. And he says, that's where Jesus went. Jesus was crucified outside the camp. Jesus was out there dealing with people's uncleanness. He went where the unclean people are. He went where the people needing to be made clean, needing sanctification, needing to be consecrated. Jesus went to them. The great high priest who had the right to sit on his royal throne in his royal gown covered with jewels and diadems and his crown of the priceless value. He entered into the uncleanness of this world. He went outside the camp and he laid his own life down to serve as a priest so that unclean people can be made clean. He says, you're a royal priest. Dressed in all the splendor of God. But you have a sacred calling. As long as we're on this earth, your calling is not to this pretty, beautiful place. Your calling is outside the camp where the unclean people are. Yeah, you have a role inside the camp to help those and to minister to those. One another passages of the scriptures, but... We have to understand we don't just worship God by coming here today to sing songs and to praise his name. We certainly do that. But we need to understand we are priests. And our sacred calling is to go out to the unclean places of our city, starting with our family and bringing them to holiness, starting in our workplaces, understanding God has placed you in your workplace to be a priest, to represent God among an unclean people, to tell them and to invite them to the sacred table, to the altar of God, to participate in the sacred meal of grace. That's your purpose in life. That's your identity, a royal priesthood, extending the sacred grace of God to people. Is that how you view yourself? Or do you come here today thinking that I'm the priest? I'm the paid professional to to dispense the grace of God to you. That's not it at all. You're the priest. I'm just teaching the word of God to help us understand who we are in Christ. We are all the people. We are the royal priesthood. And as long as we're on this earth, this temporary city about which he refers, we are ministering in a nasty place. A place of insult and disgrace, which is which word reproach means. He says, bearing the reproach of Christ The ministry we've been called to, our sacred calling, is a nasty calling. It's a calling of disgrace. It's a calling of suffering. It's a calling of laying our lives down. It's a calling of sacrifice and giving to others that others might partake in the grace of God. In our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in the inner city, from here to Africa. And beyond. That's how God is establishing a kingdom of priests. Through you. 
a royal priesthood. Everything you say off of your lips become a worship to God. Everything you do becomes a sacrifice of praise to God. The fruit of our lips being the praise to God. The gospel testimony coming off of our mouth and bringing people to grace. Laying our life down. It says doing good deeds to one another outside the walls of the church. He says sharing. That literally is the word koinonia. That is the root of community. We are a community of fellow sufferers in the blood of Christ, bearing the reproach of Christ, extending the grace of Christ to others, inviting them to the sacred altar. All are invited. All of us are priests doing this work of God. Does that challenge the way you think about yourself? It's got to. I don't think any of us walk in here thinking, I am a priest of the royal priesthood. Who were the priests? The priests were the sons of the great high priest, the sons of Aaron. Why were they? Well, God exchanged them for the firstborn that he saved at the Passover. He said, I saved you. You owe me your life. And that leads to him saying, I'm going to use Aaron and his sons as the royal priesthood. Those who trust in Christ owe God his life. And he declares them priests, sons of the great high priest. So I ask you today, when you come in here today and you think, I'm here to worship, that's great. But what happens when you leave this place? What do you do? What do you think about? How do you think about yourself wherever you go? How do you think about yourself as a father? Do you understand that God has made you a priest of that household? How do you think of yourself as an employee? Do you understand God has placed you as a priest to dispense his grace to those people by declaring the gospel, by loving them, by doing good deeds in his name? Do you know that God, as declaring you a high priest, has before the foundations of the, of the, of the earth decided, I have certain good works that I have ordained you to go and do as a priest. That's what he tells us in Ephesians. Our calling as priests is to go walk in those good deeds, to dispense his grace to our families, to our friends, to the nations. This is a radically different way of thinking. To the extent that you and I get this concept. That will be how we make a difference in this city. Otherwise, you're going to come in here and it doesn't matter how much I talk about grace and what we're supposed to see God do when we leave here. We leave here thinking, I'm all about the things of this world. My prayer, my desire, what I'm asking God, what the staff and elders are, are seeing God leading us to think about is how do we unleash the people? You're getting teaching. You're getting Bible training. You've got great training in the classes. You're getting taught the word of God. But is it changing the way you think and act when you leave this place? That's what it's all about. We're praying that God will unleash ministers, 
priest on this city and people get saved. And it's not some strange place. It's where you already are. Are you being intentional? Are you acting like a priest? Do you see yourself as a priest? That's what this has all been about. Draw near to God. Be ordained as a priest of God. And wherever you go, wherever he takes you, in the everyday events of your life, bring people to his altar. Let's pray together. Father God, make it, make it be true in our lives. Make it be real. Help us to grasp this concept that we are priests. And may that change the way we think about our jobs and our families and about careers and our neighborhoods, our time, our money, our resources, our energies. May our identity in Christ as a royal priesthood drive every aspect of our lives. Lord, please unleash this this body of believers on this community. May we be a, a, a kingdom of priests, a church of priests who take your grace to people, who meet people where they are, outside the camp, unclean, needing to be made right with you, needing to be made clean. And may we offer them the bread of grace. May we offer them the hope that is in Jesus. There is no other way that we can be made clean but by the name of Jesus. So Lord, as we sing this song about one name, only Jesus, Lord, may may hearts in this room be filled with the knowledge of that they are priests if they are in Christ. And may those who aren't in Christ come to you and feast at your table of grace and be consecrated, made right, made clean, made holy, made one with you as we sing this song about our precious Savior, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.